You're listening to Inclusive AF with Jackie Clayton and Katie Van Horn. Hello, hello. Welcome. Uh, This is Katie Van Horn. And this is Jackie Clayton. And you're listening to (laughs) Inclusive AF Podcast. Um, Hello, hello, hello. We have, um, I think, a, a fun situation here because we have two Jesses. We got a two Jess combo today. Um, so uh, we would like to welcome Jess Osro and Jessica Lambrecht. Um, and they're going to share a little bit about what they do and their journey and all kinds of good stuff. So first off, ladies, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Of course, of course. Um, so as we like to do, we'd love to start off with just uh, you kind of doing introductions of yourselves and sharing a little bit about kind of who you are. Um, so whoever would like to go first. Sure. I just got pointed at, so I guess I'll start. Okay. <laughs> um, um, so hi, I'm Jessica. I go by the full Jessica name as to help differentiate between having two co-founders with the same first name. So she's Jess, I'm Jessica. Um, We both come to this from different places, but really landed with the same kind of passion toward um, this work. So we're super excited to be here. Thanks again for having us. Um, A little bit about uh, my background. So I have been with small and growing organizations since kind of the outset of my career. Um, Early on, I saw all of the opportunity that existed for these small organizations that just don't have the capacity or the resources to really do a lot of this work. And I saw just like this huge gap between what, you know, all of these major huge organizations are doing and kind of what you know, the academics were saying was possible and what was actually happening, um, you know, at these, for these small teams. So I started in some um, certification coursework, which is where I met Jess. Um, And prior to this, I um, had a background in, you know, operations, looking at, you know, org development, um, which really put me in a nice place to um, meet Jess. And I'll, I'll use that as a nice segue over to, to Jess. Yeah, so um, I have been in HR, people ops, L&D, DEI, whatever you want to call it, for the last 12 plus years in New York headquartered startups, but with kind of a global presence. Um, I'm very no nonsense, no BS when it comes to this kind of work, which um, you either like or you don't like. There's a very clear divide when it comes to that level of transparency and kind of no nonsense. Um, Ultimately, I have seen a number of toxic workplaces. I have seen another a number of tremendous people get burned out because of those workplaces. I've seen skills and people flounder, and I've also seen them flourish. And so really figuring out, for me, my goal is to always figure out how can you make the individual flourish and be accomplished just as much as the organization is? And how do you have those two grow in parallel? Um, that doesn't mean the same speed. That doesn't mean the same kind of exponential growth, but making sure that folks at all levels are growing. And I always say, you know, good DEI is good organizational development, is good performance management, is pay equity, is, 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 because it, for me and for Jessica also, it's intrinsically tied. You can't have good DEI without having good HR, without having good L&D, without having good yada, yada, yada. Um, yeah. And so that's me. Awesome. Very cool. And, um, so I know I asked this before we start record, started recording, but Jessica, you are in New York and Jess, you are in New Hampshire, right? You said rural, rural redneck, New Hampshire. And I'm from here. So I can say that I feel okay about that. Uh, It's a very interesting state. (laughs) Awesome. Very cool. So I, you know, Jessica, you said that you all met, you know, during uh, some certifications that you were doing. So first tell us what certifications were you working on? Yeah, so Jessica and I met at a, I would consider it like a mini master's program at NYU, managing diversity and inclusion in the workplace. Um, I was at the time in a very toxic work situation and was like, I want to get formally into this field. I want to figure out what the hell it's about, what is going on. Um, Jessica, you know, joined in for her own reasons that she mentioned before. And ultimately, we were the two students who couldn't shut up, you know, whether it was in class, (laughs) on the message boards, whether it was to the professor, holding them after class. It was just a constant back and forth for each other. And that turned into many cups of coffee, which turned into many bottles of wine. And ultimately we, you know, recognize that we share the same values around transparency and growth and really supporting the majority of people who work in smaller organizations and how to do that in a effective and scalable way, hot hot button words that everybody talks about, 
but also in a really personable way. Um, we both really value that transparency. We value that no BS. Um, one of our values for our organization is actually no ego, because you know, for those who can't see Jess and I, Jessica and I, we are both two white women. We are both heterosexual. We are both from relatively privileged backgrounds. I always joke that the element of diversity between the two of us is Jess has glasses and I have contacts, which for the, for the folks listening out there isn't real diversity. Um, and so from the onset, we wanted to make sure that our team was built up in a way that made sense for DEI. And Jess, if you want to share a little bit about that. Yeah, I think what the, you know, right at the outset, we knew that this was not something that we could speak to ourselves that, you know, just the nature of this work is community. Um, and it is also not just our voices. So we actually built out the rise journey from day one with a model of um, having a full um, advising team uh, that is uh, practitioners from across HR, DEI, um, just kind of anything that is even remotely related to organizational culture and DEI work. Um, that contribute to everything that we do. So um, weighing in on our methodology, weighing in on all of our client work, all of our offerings. Um, we recently rolled out some awesome new educational programming, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, it's uh, been Jess's um, uh, real uh, passion project over the last, I mean, I guess over the last year, really, um, kind of honing in on, on, you know, again, talking to people in the community and where can we address some gaps and create some really valuable, um, I guess, opportunities for education and raising awareness, right? Um, so right from the start, we knew that we needed to be involving not just people that didn't look or sound or, or think like us, um, but also people that were active, that are active practitioners in their respective industries, right? We wanna, we wanna know what's really happening um, in real time. And I think some things that get lost to um, is how relatively new DEI work is to mainstream organizations. Um, you know, it's been happening for a long time, um, but when we see like the emergence of DEI, you know, um, practitioners in the C-suite or even at, you know, VP director levels, like this is still relatively new. Um, so having people that are actually out there um, doing this work on a day-to-day -day basis and seeing what's working like in real time has, has just proven like invaluable to um, really bringing value back to the community. Uh, you know, Jess has um, been really big, you know, in terms of like participating in the community conversation and making sure that we're not just bringing that to clients, but to other people that are in the community as well. And part of having these conversations here like today. I have a question. I've heard you say community a couple of different times. When you say community, what do you mean by community? Like, um, you know, we're up there, up north, but there, you know, it's a big place. So help our listeners understand when you say community, what does that mean? Okay. So one of, we actually, in, in one of, one of, we have a slide in every one of our decks, any presentation that we do, even to like onboard clients. And we call it like the learning journey. And it starts with you. Like the learning journey always starts with you as an individual. And then it grows to your, you know, the next tier of, I believe it is like your family and friends. And the next year is where you work. And then the next year is your literal community that sits around you and then the global presence. And that's how I think about community. And that's probably one of the words now we're gonna, it's in our brains that we're gonna say another 5,000 times in this next 45 minutes. Um, but it means many different things. For me, my local community, I'm in New Hampshire. My local community doesn't provide a lot of intellectual stimulation. Just, I am literally in the woods. Um, we just barely got on this podcast cause our internet went out, you know, that is my life. Versus formerly in New York, I had a much, you know, more robust community. I was going to meetups, I was going to things. So we have our physical community. I live very much in the digital community. I'm a part of about 15 different HR related, people ops related Slack communities that probably total about 50,000 folks. So I have access at my fingertips, hypothetically to 50,000 people ops practitioners at any given time. And that is mostly US centric, but there is a global presence. Um, and I am continuing to push that global community piece because if you talk to DEI practitioners in the UK or in Europe or France, particularly, it is a whole different world. And so our community here does not represent their community there. And it goes beyond just like the concept of diversity. It is truly an ecosystem that is so vastly different from what we experience on a day to day. So ideally, between Jessica and I, we live in like 15 different communities on the regular and we try to dabble in all of them because you, you will get closed off. You will put those blinders on unintentionally if you just stick to one or two groups. 
Yeah. I love that you're saying that. Cause I think, you know, I, so obviously this is also what I do, you know, I'm also a consultant in this space and doing this work globally. It is so fascinating to have the conversations, you know, in, in Berlin versus in India versus in Singapore versus, you know, all of these different places where you're having these conversations and they're all different, but there are, you know, some red threads there as well of just, you know, how do we drive inclusion? How do we create spaces that people can do great things? Um, but you know, it is, it is a, uh, definitely an ecosystem. That's a great way to put it just of, you know, the different things that are going on. So, you know, one of the things that I, I saw on your website when I was looking the other day was around sourcing and how to increase kind of your, your female applicants. And obviously that's something that's near and dear to Jackie's heart. And, you know, that's kind of the world she lives in, uh, within recruiting. And so would love to hear a little bit about the case study that you did there and how you got to, you know, an increase. It was, 20 something percent. I can't remember, <laughs> but tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So that's actually pretty old. So I would, if I were to do that again, I would actually challenge myself to double those numbers because I feel like in the four years or so, three years or so that it's been since that I have, I have grown tremendously and my contacts have grown tremendously. So I'd be able to do kind of a different take on it. Um, but ultimately it was a social experiment because the organization I was working at, at the time said, well, just like everybody else has heard, oh, the bar is too low when you have those candidates. Oh, well, women, there's just not enough in the pipeline, all the standard BS that we hear. And I said, okay, let's, let's push that aside. Let me see what I can do in four days and, and change that up. And so it was a combination of saying, okay, what is my budget? Where can I post these jobs where the communities are, are female or really not male? That's what I usually try, I try to do the, because you know, for those who are third gender, gender non-conforming, trans, whatever, you know, you identify as, whether it's gender or sex, just not male, <laughs> generally speaking, is what I say. And when it comes to that, and specifically for engineering and tech, it's obviously, you know, a very hot button issue. Um, and I shared it out with my community and I said, hey, I am doing this. I want to prove, you know, on this scale that we can do it. And then on larger scales, um, I utilize places like diversifytech.co as one of my main ones. Um, it's a great, great resource. And really just spread it around and said, this is what I'm looking to do. Here's why. And I think that for me was the big differentiator is saying, I want to do this because we as an organization want to recruit women or not men into our tech organization because. And when I said that, and when I was able to really explain, like, we have some foundations of diversity, equity, and inclusion and belonging and accessibility. We have some of these foundations here. We're far be it on the end of our journey, if, they're, if you ever at the end of your journey, but we've started. And part of that is ensuring that we have these voices. Here are all the things that we've done so far. We've set up a women's ERG. We've de dedicated resources. This is what we do. And I shared about the what we were doing so that when applicants actually looked at us, they weren't like, oh, well, I'm just going to be that one photo on that website, or I'm just going to be that one name. And so really, it was incredible because people, it resonated clearly that it resonated with folks. And they said, okay, like, I get why you're doing this, and I want to be a part of it. Um, and we ended up hiring two uh, female engineers from that crew that applied. Um, but for me, it's, it's bigger and it's about the foundation you set before you even start the recruitment process. What does your EEOC policy say on your website? Is it the standard, we don't discriminate, or is it, we are actively looking to be more inclusive. We want your feedback. This is why we're asking about pronouns. This is why we're asking about this. This is why we share these links about our ERGs or our DEI committee. It's far and beyond just that recruitment process, which alienates anybody who fits into that other category at any point all the time. I have felt alienated constantly from the interview process, and I would consider myself not part of the other category. For the most part, I'm in you know the privileged and catered to community, um, which many aren't. Jess, anything else? Any other thoughts? Uh, I have, I had two things here. One, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm guessing this is a pretty uh, people ops um, focused uh, uh, community here that's listening. And I'm using, see exactly, I'm using the word community now um, for everything. But um, I'm guessing your listenership is, um, you know, very uh, well versed in all of the people ops. Um, but I do want to just take a moment to point out um, ERG is an employee resource group. Uh, we, we did get some feedback. We talk about it so much that I think sometimes it's just become second nature. And we did get some feedback. I was like, what is that? You know, you keep using that, act, you know, it's like, anyway, so I just want to pause for that. Um, and then second, um, just pointed something out, you know, in terms of like thinking about the, the, the language on a website in terms of, you know, thinking about 
the contrast between what's legally required, you know, what's the legalese versus like, what are we actually trying to do? We're actually trying to create, you know, this specific type of organization. And I think that goes back to really everything and, and really where we, where we try and focus as well is in that intentionality, right? Is finding like, what is the, what are we really trying to get out? Where are we really trying to focus instead of just kind of seeing, oh, this organization is doing that or like, oh, I hear people talking about this term or this kind of training or this kind of, you know, initiative internally and just kind of looking for that and really taking that step back. Um, another one of our values is taking that big picture view. So, you know, you do take that that step back and you really do look at what are we trying to accomplish and how do we do that in an intentional way instead of just kind of moving as quickly as possible um, and maybe missing the forest for the trees, right? So really trying to get that view um, and move into that, into what you're doing. And, and, you know, again, thinking about that goodwill, building trust internally, um, everyone's going to make mistakes in, in this work, in anything, everyone's going to make mistakes. So making sure that you're coming from, um, again, an intentional place kind of helps you to reset when things go off the rails, which they inevitably will. The other piece to that, and I actually re recently did a workshop with one of our advisors, Stephanie, on mitigating bias in the interview process. And it's a two part because, you know, just like everybody listening, you could probably go on about bias in the interview process for days. Um, but part of it that's really, you know, bespoke is we want to make sure that an organization feels it. And we had about 25 folks, all hiring managers, including the C-suite in that workshop. And we start out and saying, what's broken in your interview process? And you can anonymously message us if you don't want to unmute yourself or put it in the chat, but talk to us about what is working and what isn't working. And right from the get-go, we say like, let's talk about your process. We're not talking about this process over here or that process over there, but we want to know what is going on with your process. Where do you see greatness? Where do you see fault? Where do you see things that need to be fixed or gaps? And the entire workshop is built out on going back to that company and saying, okay, let's, let's go back here. Let's take a job description. Let's edit this in real time. Where are their biases? I don't care who wrote it. Let's do not, it's not about blame, but let's really dig in. And so I actually, we have to recreate a new deck every time because it gets so customized by the end of it. So when we send it over to the client, they have all this copy of it and they have what's working and what isn't working. And if a new recruiter joins, they can say, we did this presentation, it's not recorded because privacy, but we wanna see like, this is what our thought process is. This is all the 17 worksheets that we did where we talked about biases that were present and what we might do and how we might respond and making it real to the people in the interview process, making it real to the company. Because when that CEO heard, oh, you know, we really need to re recruit folks of color. We're not really good at that. We're really white. He said, you know what? I'm ashamed to say it, but we're, that's spot on. And to have the C-suite recognize at that level to all 25 people in that room was really important. And he may not have done that. He may have done it to one person or another person, but having that group and having everybody hear and really listen to each other and do those breakdowns, it's so important. Like Jess said, you can't just copy what another organization is doing without really saying, how does it work in our system? How does it work in our ecosystem? I had a question. Trust is a big thing. Katie and I talk about it all the time. So how do you, like most people, when they write and start doing all of these things, they write it for white people, white straight people to, divert, to have diverse people. So then you have these other diverse people sitting there like I'm already here. Um, and that's a big thing with the trust issue and understanding kind of the whole 360 dynamic of everybody because I mean you can't you can't choose who's coming to your classes sometimes you know and there's always the one that's coming by complete duress and the one that already knows everything right so okay we'll we'll cancel those out but then everybody else how are you making sure that you're supporting all of the attendees to make sure when everybody is at a different level asking for a friend I am a friend <laughs> just curious so for <laughs> any of our workshops we always have at least two leads who visually look different from each other and ideally have different backgrounds. Um, and we, that is intentional because we want to, not everybody's going to connect to me. I always joke that Jess and I are on polar opposites when it comes to like learning styles, writing styles, listening styles, communication styles. You know, it's kind of a, a dream that we're able to argue and then an hour later come back to each other and say, okay, this is how I process this is what's coming. And that's how we approach workshops or any kind of training is, you know, you at least, least need to have two different folks, if not three, depending on the size of the group, because people are going to hear things differently. A white person might hear something from me and be like, yes, but from a black person, Jackie, such as yourself, they might be like, mm, 
she's probably overreacting. Very real reactions that people have. And so we want to make sure that one, you know, we're sharing in different voices. So we're ideally catering to some of the different voices. We're not going to get everybody for everything for all the reasons. Um, the other piece, again, going back to that no ego, I constantly talk about all of the ways that I've messed up or erred or showed bias or microaggressions. I have been the perpetrator of so many microaggressions in my life. And I look back and I'm like, oh my God, how much of an idiot was I? Oh, geez. But I can fall on my face and talk about it. And that is vital to this work because like Jeff said, everybody's making, everybody's gonna make a mistake. I probably have said something already on this podcast that somebody's gonna pat me on the shoulder and be like, eh, can you rephrase that next time? I'll be like, oh shit, sorry, yes. You know, and that's life. And so- You're right. It, yeah. I'm just laughing. I was like, it's probably Katie. It's probably gonna be Katie. He's gonna tell you that. He's just saying. Um, no. And also making <laughs> jokes about things. So in this last workshop, I, you know, we were talking, we dug into bias and I said, you know, when we talk about biases, I biased against people who are Red Sox fans. I have been a Yankees fan my entire life. And if somebody brings it up in an interview, like, and I, you know, joke about it, but there is seriousness to it because that is a real thing that, you know, that affinity bias that people connect to. And by bringing something lighter to it, rather than being like, I'm a racist and I don't like Jackie because she doesn't look like me. You know, you can say, oh, these little things that happen. Oh, I played volleyball in college. So did this candidate. Oh, we're perfect for each other. You know, these are real life circumstances. And so we can, you bring in humor and levity and especially for those who are, like you said, under duress and don't want to be there, it allows them to say, okay, like I'm not being targeted because white people feel targeted all the time. I am a white person. I can tell, again, I'll say that again, uh, as, as a monolith, white people have felt targeted a lot, you know, but it's our job to also break down those pieces and say, okay, what are the ways we can connect? We can connect by having different voices saying things. We connect through humor. We can connect through writing, thinking about all the different learning styles follow-up content, additional resources. I always make sure to play videos and short snippets because just people connect to different things. And some people are gonna say things, Jess says things, I say things and Jess will find a way to synthesize it and then says it to me and I'm like, shit, that sounded great. Where did you get that? And she's like, oh, I heard you say that. And I'm like, wait, no, I never <laughs> said that. And so it's so important to have all of these different elements together because one alone does not work and never will work in a silo. Imagine how fast we could solve the world's biggest problems if more SaaS startups would gain traction sooner. Welcome to the Tech Entrepreneur on a Mission podcast. This podcast is dedicated to sharing experiences from B2B SaaS CEOs who are going above and beyond to deliver change that is noticed. You will hear their secrets and learn what is required to build a SaaS business that the world starts talking about and keeps talking about and how to overcome the roadblocks to do so. I love that. I think that's, you know, obviously that's one of the reasons why Jackie and I started this podcast was just to, you know, we're having these conversations where we're, um, you know, sharing with each other different experiences that were going on and, you know, how are you dealing with this? How are you dealing with that? You know, and obviously coming from different backgrounds, different perspectives. And so I think that is so critical. And, you know, I think that's why having those other voices at the table is so important. And, you know, the, the one thing I'll say, and, you know, this is one that I, you know, talking about making mistakes, the mine is the joking because I would joke around and then it would be like, oh, okay, wait, am I saying something thinking it's funny or thinking it's a joke? And then it is actually alienated, you know, alienating the white male in the room or whomever, you know, and, and really thinking about that. So that's always one that, you know, kind of, I try to keep an eye on because it just for me personally, because uh, Jackie knows this, I do like to joke around and I, um, sometimes going to be silly and sometimes it works and sometimes not so much. So yeah, <laughs> it's important. It's funny. You said that about sports and I, you know, I am raised in Texas and um, the Dallas Cowboys are not only America's team, it's God's team. And this oh, is God's Jackie. country. And, you know, speaking to Katie, my BFF from Arizona, which lucked into some wins this year. Um, I remember like when I, as soon as I started traveling outside of Texas as an adult, like being in complete shock of things. And we thought we were so woke, me and my husband, we moved from Texas to Florida and then realized we didn't know anything about cultures or people or food. Like we didn't know any of it. We thought we did. And I think that the, it's great that you have different voices and try to identify, but you always, you know, I, I, I say over and over again, like I'm not a diversity expert, I'm a student and I'll share with what I know, but it might change. Um, and I think there's a lot of language, you know, communication is really important and key. 
of making sure that we can um, connect, but you do have to have those people. I called Katie with a 911 last week. Not even gonna lie about it. <laughs> but I think that's the, that's the important stuff. So um, what is, what is important? What is kind of on your radar? What is on fire right now for, for you all within, you know, as you're thinking about how you're approaching this work, as you're thinking about the clients that you're working with, what's on fire right now for you? Um, on fire. And I love that. Um, so Jess and I deal in very different parts of our business. Um, we've been able to segment, which is really lovely because I don't like a lot of the work that Jess does. And I don't think she likes a lot of the work that I do. So we're able to overlap in that Venn diagram where, where things yep, work up yep. for both of us. So we both have different takes on this. Um, for me, about April or May of this year, we had clients come to us and they say, okay, we love a good workshop, but like two, two and a half hours, like everybody's a zombie afterwards. We're all exhausted. Like you can't do anything for the rest of that day, if not the next day, because your brain is processing. And I said, what can we do for like light accessible information? What can we do for like learning sessions, but like that leave you excited and invigorated versus just like this ugh, drained. And so ta-da, the, the creative name of lunch and learns, you know, <laughs> the, the phrase that nobody's ever heard of before. Um, and so kind of on a whim, I reached out to a couple of our advisors, um, Mona, who is um, Mona Ishaker, who's just an incredible human being, um, licensed therapist, does a lot of work in the burnout space and mental health and LGBTQ community, um, LGBTQIA plus community. Um, and I said, hey, like, I know you do some things. Can you throw together a couple ideas? And I wanted to see if we can, if anybody's interested in it. And it lit on fire. It was like we threw gasoline on a, on a bonfire. And we've since launched about 60 different sessions. And our goal with them is deep diving. Like, frankly, I'm so over unconscious bias. I'm so over microaggressions. If we're going to talk about it, I want to know how it affects a specific community or if I'm the perpetrator or how I, you know, work backwards, whatever it is. And so we get experts who like talking about a specific area who can create microcosms of community in that one hour session, because an hour is not a long time, finding the right amount of how much do you ask people to open up and speak in the chat or unmute themselves or take a poll versus no breakout groups because breakout groups in an hour is impossible um, and have people leave and be excited versus a lot of DEI topics. People are like, oh my God, I'm going to go in and fail. You leave with that feeling like I've, I've done all these things and now I'm a terrible person and now I need to leave or I'm always going to get yelled at or I'm always going to get blamed and maybe this is a very white perspective. I know it's a very white perspective because that's, that's me um, versus being like, okay, I have three things I can do tomorrow. Oh, I'm going to bring this up in my meeting. Oh, I can use this one line. I have one line. If somebody takes away literally one phrase from an hour long session that they can then use multiple times to say, actually, Jessica, Katie was talking. I, I want to hear the rest of her thought. If somebody feels like empowered to do that, period, end of story, we've won. The employer has won. And then if 20 people in that session feel like they can do that and they can do it in their meetings, they can do it in one-on-ones, they can do it in the outside world, they've won. And so we really try to have our advisors and our speakers who do those lunch and learns really just say like, what are three things they can take away and do after this session that they can internalize? It's like, what does it take like nine days to form a bad habit, but 90 days to form a good habit? How can we give them something that they can do every day for 90 days? And then they have that habit. Um, it's not easy. Um, but so we have a bunch of sessions and it's really been wonderful to work with clients on creating curriculums, not just like here's a one-off session. Like it's, you know, all these heritage months where we're getting you know, inquiries about Black History Month. And I'm like, okay, like we get it. Black history is a thing. You know, you can't encapsulate even a thousandth, a mil millionth of Black history in an hour. So let's do a deep dive on something. What do you want to know about Black history? You want to know about the women of Black history? Do you want to know about the leaders? Like, let's dive in. And so I actually reached out to our speakers and said, hey, we've been getting Black History Month inquiries. You know me. I want deep dives on stuff. What do you got? And about six or seven different advisors came back with their own take on it. And I said, hell yeah, I want your takes. I want your thoughts because I know I haven't heard those before. And that's this kind of session I want to listen to because I'm attending them all as admin and I'm excited to hear them over and over and over again. But I've just rambled on, Jess, what are your fires, like good fires in your house? Because I'm, I'm living in lunch and learn land. <laughs> oh, well, first off, before you go, like, that's amazing. And I think, you know, that's something that the more we can, again, have these voices shared, like you're saying with the different experiences and the different takes on whatever topic it is in those deep dives, like that's such a, a critical piece to this as well. Making sure these voices are heard and these different perspectives, different experiences are shared. I think that's what also makes it real. So I, I, I love that idea. That's great. Thank you. And sorry, yeah, Jessica, go ahead. 
No, no, it's great. Um, she said really uh, went into a, a huge part of uh, you know one of our our current focuses. So let's talk about it. Um, you know, and I think on the same. Gosh, like you know, as as you ask that question, I'm thinking I'm kind of like jotting some notes as we go. Um, Jackie, you made a what I, I love that comment that you made about being a student of this work, and that really resonates with me because uh, I mean, for so many reasons, and I think you know, I think that's such a helpful way of of speaking about that because there is so much to learn. You know, I I say to a lot, you know, clients, you know, people, friends, and family. You know, it's like I live and breathe this every day, and there are still new concepts to me. There are still new terms. Um, there's just no amount of hours in the day that I can spend learning that I can, you know, close a book at the end of the day and be like, I officially know everything. Um, <laughs> right? um, so that's been um, something huge on on my end is embracing that mentality and trying sometimes successfully, sometimes less successfully, uh, with the people that we work with to kind of help bring them to that state of mind as well. Um, we work with a lot of folks that are really used to being experts in everything that they do. They are brought in to grow teams because they are experts. And it's really hard to move into a place and do work where you are unsure and you have to really embrace not knowing what comes next all the time. And so that, you know, I think that's something that we're seeing a lot is how do we make this approachable? How are we inviting people into this conversation, no matter kind of where they are, um, you know, in terms of their comfort level, in terms of the, you know, things that they're already aware of, things that they're comfortable talking about, but might get more comfortable or less com comfortable as the, as the work progresses. Um, so how are we inviting people into that conversation? How are we getting people to embrace that mindset of, hey, we're still learning. Hey, this is, you know, we, we're constantly stressing, like this is phase one. This is version one, like everything is going to be improved. We're going to do this again. We're going to try different approaches. We're going to assess where we are, what's working, what's not. Um, so when you ask, you know, what's what's kind of on fire right now, I think really bringing people into the conversation and helping them kind of, you know, embrace that student mentality um, has been huge for the work that we've been doing on, on both sides of, you know, what, what Jess was talking about in terms of the education and then, um, some of the more client focused work that, that I spearhead. But, um, I think it can be, I don't want to say inaccessible because I, I don't think that's the case. I think it can be really challenging for people, um, to, to look at this work from the outside and it just feels so hard that it doesn't feel manageable. And just, I'd rather not do it, right? It's just easier to just walk away or pass it off to one person in the organization. And Justin and I talk about all the time siloing this work into like, oh, this is, you know, Bob or Jody or whoever. That is the person that runs all of our DEI initiatives. And then everyone else just go about your work, you know, as usual. Don't worry, we got that one person handling it. And that's just not sustainable. It's not going to make an impact, right? Um, so again, thinking about that student mindset, thinking about um, making it as, as approachable and bringing as many people as you can into the conversation, that's really where you know a lot of the conversations that I'm having right now are focused. That makes sense. I think we've been having where I work, it's a big, it's a big deal. Everybody's like down with the Debbie or figuring out what the DEI B. And I was like, Debbie sounds cute. Um, we're all down with it um, and implementing those things and talking to people about how they're getting those things put together. Um, and some of it is one of the things that I was really excited when I came was, was the accountability piece. And, and that is an aspect um, of my job. And I think when we, Katie and I've talked many, and I'd love to, I'm going to post this to you, but Katie and I've talked through the years about like, what do you need to ask for? And it used to be, oh, you need to ask for a title. And then it was, you have to ask for budget. And then it's like, oh, you have to report to these people. Um, and now it is, it's kind of like, I think asking how are you holding people accountable is a part that's a very important piece. How are you suggesting that um, 
to your clients or how do you see people with the clients that you've worked with? How are they holding people accountable to be able to reach those goals? Jessica is the master of project management spreadsheets, um, which can be imported into any project management tool. Um, I am in constant awe of her Excel-ness. Um, and it, it sounds silly, but it starts there. It starts with having it written out and saying, Jessica's responsible for this by this date at this time. Um, I do a lot of coaching of DEI committees and ERGs in this process of like, okay, well, let's figure out our goals. Let's create a quantifiable measure for it, even if it's a binary yes, no. Who's responsible for it? What phase? What do you need to do before that next meeting? And just writing it down and saying, okay, this is going to be shared with all of these people so they can all hold you accountable too. And here's what's going on. And here's what happens if you need to ask for help. Here's what happens when you say, hey, I actually can't do it by this deadline because this happened. We need to push it out. It's like, great. That is accountability saying, oh, I got it done sooner so I can take on something else. That is accountability. There's so many ways that you can show up for this work, whether you're in a DEI committee or it's your dedicated role or whatever it may be. And so owning that and communicating that like over and over and over again. Um, and it seems basic, but just like writing it down, making it transparent, make sure people, everybody's on the same page. Does anybody have any questions about this? I'm gonna share this out before our next meeting. Make sure to update this before our next meeting. Here's the agenda, add to it, whatever it is building in those steps so that everybody knows where they can play their part in the accountability sphere, that world ecosystem community, <laughs> whatever, whatever keyword we're using right now. Jess. I want to, I want to tag on to that, Jess. I think that that is so key and I appreciate your kind words about my excelness. Um, I, you know, I really, I think also it's that it's making it practical. And that's one of the things that we really set out to do with when we really, you know, our niche area is small organizations. You know, most of the teams we work with are under 200 employees, right? And so it's, it's you know, again, not only is, again, this DEI work in general still really getting into the mainstream, but it's especially not in the mainstream when you're thinking about teams of 50 employees or 100 employees. Um, so really thinking about how are we bringing that practical steps to them? And sometimes that's in the form of, you know, a really detailed spreadsheet in terms of first do this, then do that. Um, but framing it also in terms of that short and long-term goal setting, right? So it's like the immediate goals are here, but these are the long-term goals. Because I think sometimes it's easy to get caught up in one or the other. You get stuck on, oh, well, by 2025, we want to have this done. And it gets easy to kind of skip all the less glamorous steps that, that it actually takes to accomplish that. It's really easy to write this really cool mission statement and stick it on your website and feel really happy and pat yourself on the back. But like, there's a, like a thousand tiny steps that go into making that happen over the next, you know, two or three years. Right. Um, so, but finding that balance and, you know, Jess always likes to say like, you know, what are those early, like easy wins? Right. And back to what Jackie said that, you know, that's trust that's starting to build that trust process is to say, hey, here's something that we can do really quickly and show that we're, we're putting this effort in. And then this is what we want to do over the long term. And then having all of that, you know, all those details filled in along the way and making sure there are due dates, there are owners, there are is a clear breakdown of what needs to happen. Um, and I think all of those things, back to the ecosystem comment, you know, all of those things together really form accountability for individuals and for organizations. Um, again, thinking about that different levels, different where people are coming to the work. Um, I think that's a really great way to kind of help everyone be accountable to the work. It's not just, again, it's not just one person or one department. The last comment I'll add to that is specifically to those, and, and Jackie, I was actually just stalking you on LinkedIn because I'm the queen of multitasking. Um, but for those companies who are hiring for DEI related roles, whether it is a C-suite all the way down to like a coordinator, is I've been seeing so many job descriptions where it's like, oh, like 32,000 a year. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Nobody's going to be held accountable for diddly squat if you can't compensate a DEI professional. I don't care if they're one year out of a program or they only have a certificate. If you are hiring somebody as a DEI professional, the minimum salary is 75K. I don't care where you live in the US or globally, that's the minimum salary for someone to do this work. And realistically, it's probably higher than that because it takes so much. DEI is not sexy work. Uh, you know, people always giggle when I say that, but it's like, it's just a whole bunch of project management and accountability pieces. 
the outcomes are beautiful if done well. The what you can publish on your website, the downloads, the packets, the PR, whatever are great, but the actual work, the day to day is taxing. It requires building trust both for the individual to, with their with their company, but also reverse for the leadership to build trust with their DEI professional. And so seeing all these job descriptions where they're written in there, they want all this accomplishment and they want all these things, but then they're only willing to pay like 20, 30, 40,000 a year. I'm like, nobody should apply for that role. And I've seen a whole bunch of posts on LinkedIn saying that I agree every time I'm like, no, don't apply for this role. This company does not value it. They're not going to instill trust and they're not going to build accountability because that's not what they're here for. They're here for being able to put a stamp on a person that says we have a DEI professional. I love that you said that. And I think, you know, the accountability piece, even, you know, just Jessica, as you were kind of pointing out like the short-term versus long-term goals and, and how you actually share that with the team and how transparent you are, that also helps to build the trust and just, you know, having that transparency and having everyone know, here's what our game plan is. Because I think that's the other piece that so many folks forget is that it's the, oh, we brought in a DEI consultant, so we're going to fix this in a month. And you're like, mm, not so much, no. Mm -mm. And so I think it's also having kind of those short-term, long-term goals and also letting folks know what's going on along the way. Because I think that's the other thing that so many of the C-suite leaders that I speak to it is a, oh, we're just going to flip the switch. And all of a sudden we're going to have all these diverse candidates applying and we're going to have all these things. And you're like, no, it's going to take time, which I think is one piece, but I think there's the other piece of it, which is it's going to take time. And also you need to be sharing and communicating with your team every step along the way, what's going on. Because the other part is we'll be doing stuff in the back end on processes and all of these other pieces. And then the team's like, well, I thought we were doing DEI. What's going on? You know, why haven't we heard anything? And, and all of the things that kind of go along with that, that, as you said, are not the sexy things like, oh, hey, I'm going to update this policy to make sure that we're being inclusive. Not sexy at all, but it's something that's necessary for inclusion. So um, I like that you, that you're sharing that because I think just good points to keep in mind as folks are doing this work. So that's awesome. Um, so um, when you think about kind of the, what's the first step, if I am, you know, I am sitting in an HR role in an organization and what should I do? How should I get my CHRO chief people officer on board with, Hey, we need to do this work. I always say it comes down to money and people power. Um, so is there a budget? And if there isn't budget, you're not going to be able to get anything done. Is there people power behind it besides you and that CHRO or sometimes not even a CHRO? If not, you're not gonna get it done. And so figuring out one, what is the budget? Is it separated between ERGs? Is it just DEI? Is it within the HR budget? Is it for L&D? Really starting to segment those pieces out and figuring out, you know, am I starting with $20,000? And if you are, great, that is your starting point. You have a number, that's the first part of accountability is I, I can benchmark or I can spend up to this amount. Figuring out then who's gonna do it? Am I going to do it as the HR person? Is my CHR going to do it? And we're going to bring in a consultant. A lot of organizations really struggle to bring in consultants. And, you know, we're all consultants on this call. Like we're pro consultants, but like sometimes you don't need an in-house person. And that's great. If you can bring in somebody who can support you for five hours a week or whatever it takes to get it done or to even get the process started and then hire somebody to take it over. Hell yeah. Like, why wouldn't you want to invest in that? It's a great way when you're investing externally versus internally. Maybe you say we actually have enough budget to hire somebody for DEI at a really good salary, but we need actually more somebody who's like a day-to-day -day get it done kind of person versus a strategy person. So figuring out, do you need somebody who's going to be able to, and I hate to use the word dictate down, but really dictate and delegate down, you know, here's our strategy. Here's what we're going to be doing. And I have a team underneath me who can do it versus somebody who's just going to say like, oh, I, the chief, the chief HR person or whomever is in charge of HR can then say, hey, we're going to work on these things. You're the doer versus the strategy person. So really starting to think about those pieces and have conversations. And you can pull that from conversations with your staff. You can pull that from conversations with your C-suite. Do you need a doer or a strategizer? How much money do you need? Do you need an external or internal? You know, and starting to figure out, and then where's your focus? Because there's a million ways to focus it. Are you focusing on, we need to really double down on our culture. And so figuring out goals that relate to culture versus our product, you know, there's a great case study by Pepsi of when they involved their, their Latinx, and I'm not sure of the terminology they use, but their Latinx ERG, they started marketing products to all of Latin America and like quadrupled their revenue in that area. Like, duh, 
Like, of course, these people are going to be the people who can best market it to people who look and sound and feel like them. Um, and so figuring out where you want to start your efforts and where you can have the highest ROI, is it a bunch of short term things? Okay, we can we can get this policy edited, we can, you know, grab a service that can help us with our job descriptions, and we can do these three other things, and they're really quick wins. But we're also going to have this really long win in the background of a recruitment goal that's going to take five years to get to because sometimes it takes that long. So really diving into those nitty gritty things, which again is very unsexy. But as you were saying that, I was thinking, yeah, but it's the unsexy stuff that gets candidates who are quote unquote diverse to apply. Mm -hmm. It's that maternity leave. And um, I just opened it up in advance of this call. There's a title, Kellogg's to give staff fertility, menopause, and miscarriage leave. It's like, hell yeah, that is so unsexy. And that would get me to apply right then and there. How much do you understand the future of finance? I'm Jim Roos, a top 10 banking influencer and host of the podcast, Banking Transform, where we dive deeply into the rapidly evolving world of banking and financial technology. Join me as I interview industry experts, thought leaders, and innovators as they unravel the latest banking trends, disruptions, and game-changing technologies reshaping the world of finance. Redefine your understanding of the banking ecosystem. Subscribe now to Banking Transformed, available wherever you get your podcast, and now available on YouTube. Right. No, and I, I think those are some of the things. So when I was in my former role um, full time, I one of the things we actually went out to a couple of our folks that had transitioned at work, and so they're from the trans community, and talked to them, and it was like, okay your, you know, the, the medical reimbursement, all of these things are great, but you know, what we also need is laser hair removal. And it was like one of those, like never would have dawned on any one of us. Cause we had not been through that experience. And so it was one of those, Oh, okay. Yeah, that's easy. Let's add that. Not a big deal. And it, you know, took two seconds. Um, and so I think it's also just some of those like tactics as you're like, basically what you're sharing are those tactics that you need to implement that, yeah, might not be sexy, might not be the big PR win, but are just so important for, is a candidate going to apply? Is someone going to stay in the organization? Say, what, is, what is the cost of that laser hair removal? Maybe if you have a staff of a thousand, maybe 10,000 a year, 20,000 exactly. a year? For how exactly. many people to stay for how many additional years? Mm -hmm. um, I'm right now in the process of freezing embryos. It's not fun. It's not pretty. And honestly, thank God I'm no longer at my full-time company because they even though they offered a fertility benefit of $5,000, one, it wasn't enough to cover everything. So whatever. And two, I wouldn't have been able to take time off. I have on my calendar. I, I actually published about on LinkedIn about this. of like, I'm going to be grumpy because I'm doing fertility treatments. And I shared it with the, the entire rise team. Cause I was like, this is just going to be my reality for the next two weeks. Mm -hmm. But had I, that full-time company honestly could have retained me probably longer. Had they been offering maybe 15,000 or saying, take those two weeks off proactively versus me having to ask for it. So when you think about retention on the DEI perspective, saying you need something for your health, every person can spend up to $5,000 on health-related needs, just check in with HR we, you know, or have a third party. Um, there's a lot of third parties that will go through. So you can say, okay, you, know, you don't trust HR necessarily. You can go through, through this third party, they can verify it, and then HR will reimburse. And so they're so small when you actually do them, but they have so much impact. And if you can share that on your benefits, if you can share that proactively, you can, if you're going to do this, you just have to tell your manager and you just put it on your calendar that you're doing this or that you can get that laser hair removal. And, you know, there's all the comments about fight for talent out right now. You if you can retain your non-white male talent or your non-white talent by offering $5,000 toward X, Y, or Z, effing do it already. Like, this is a no brainer. These are the really basic, like, get that shit done, instill some trust, build some accountability. And then you have some goodwill that you can kind of mess around with in a good way and figure out what's next. Yeah. It's one of the benefits. And I still think it's one of the coolest benefits ever. And I talk about it all the time is the milk stork. And it's basically, you know, it's a, for women that are breastfeeding that have to travel, keeps the milk cold, gets it home, ships it home and in the right way, all that good stuff. And it's one of those that, okay, first of all, most women that are still breastfeeding are not traveling. So like the amount of usage you actually have of that benefit is very, very minuscule. But the fact that you can say, we have this that folks can use as needed, 
that was, it's, you know, I, I kind of would joke around like it's almost a little bit of a PR thing, but it's also a very valuable resource for someone that's in that mode of, okay, I'm going to be having kids in the next year or two or whatever it might be, but I don't want to lose any steps in my career. But it's so only all a PR things. blitz because nobody's doing it or so few exactly. people are doing it. Exactly. If everybody did it, it would be like, okay. And that's what DEI really, my game, like long game is to make these things the status quo. If I can get paid maternity leave or parental leave period, not maternity leave, parental leave, if we can get the stork and all of these other benefits for our companies to offer as status quo, we've won. If nothing else, if we leave no other legacy, like we have won. If we can institute annual engagement surveys where they actually look at the data and do something about it, we have won. And it's those things that like in terms of a lasting impact, like that's how you have to think about it as well as a, at least from a consultant standpoint is like, we're looking to make lasting change. We're not looking to go in here and mess around with a couple of things. Like we'll do the PR blitzes with you, but let's make that permanent. Well, and I think that's why it's important that you do have a professional in this role that has done the work. Um, it's one of the challenges I'm looking for a program manager, like a diversity program manager. And one of the things it's like, you have had to at least have one year. I'm big about inclusive, but why? It's because once you find out how the sausage is made, it can be really, really tough. It can be, it's very, very hard work. Um, and I can't tell you how many times that I have like sat and crying and saying, I have to deal with people who don't want me there and figure out how I can get this done while life is happening. And so, and it's not for everybody and it takes understanding what you're gonna have to deal with. Um, it's very difficult to explain to people what they have to deal with pre, cause they will not believe to be professionals encounter. They will not believe you. They will not believe you. They will not believe you. <laughs> and they that's trust why, you. That's why Jackie and I have certain times when we don't record when we're like, uh, so this just happened. <laughs> right. Like, uh, can we have a minute? Like, uh, and there's times when we're, and it's bad. I mean, considering that we do this all the time, we talk about it all the time and we talk all the time when both of us are like, I don't know what to do. That's a huge oh shit moment. Like, this is not great. Um, and sometimes it's, it's sometimes it's just me and Katie. Sometimes it's a group. Okay. We all need to get on the phone because I've never heard of this before um, as we move forward. And I'm glad to meet Jess and Jessica to add to that group where it's like, wait, hold up. I need this work. Um, I need this to be done. But and part of that is that I, I just want to make sure, and I'm, I keep talking about it, making sure that we have safe places for marginalized people as their company goes through this is so important like not just to do the work for the people who aren't in who are in the popular group um because it sounds like tolerance and it's like how are you nurturing and catering to those people is so important to make sure that everybody's safe you know one of the things we've offered to a couple of clients is having like a and actually mona is usually a person like a pseudo therapist on call where you can just book time with mona to talk about workplace things and she'll distill the content as long as it's not like identifying to us so that we can bring it back into our work with the client and so that it's somebody who is of color who is of a marginalized community or multiple marginalized communities and it's it's just interesting that even just offering that actually makes people open up to us more, even though just because they have it. And it's, and it's something so simple, but also again, like not everybody's going to trust me or just if, if, cause we're white or we're women or we're X or we're Y or Z. And that's okay because our goal is to find somebody who can, who they can trust, who we can bring in. You know, Jess has had done focus groups and the, somebody approaches her after and says, I actually didn't feel comfortable because I was the only person of color in that group. Have you thought about doing like, identifier only of identifier of black or identifier of this and Jess had a great conversation with the person and she said you know sometimes there's a big enough group where we can but ultimately like I really appreciate that you felt comfortable to just grab time one-on-one -on -one with me to talk this through even though I'm not an identifier that you identify with in certain ways and it's it's so hard but that intentionality that Jess mentioned is an undercurrent of everything and just having that intentionality and saying right up front we may not resonate with all people and if we don't that's okay tell us and we're going to find somebody who does and we're not going to be heard about it that's just life we work with bravely and you can do the same thing with bravely where you can actually say you know i'm really looking for a coach who has 
you know, this demographic, or I can tie in with this group. And it's so great. Like everybody can get somebody to help coach them within those situations. It's just important. Oh, so important. Otherwise, there's a level of connection that just is innate sometimes that you just can't get otherwise. Yeah, I think that's one of the things, you know, mental health has been such a, a topic that, you know, is actually now being discussed and actually now, you know, people are being much more open about it. But one of the things that I've been hurt, you know, hearing again and again from especially women of color, it's the, there just aren't enough therapists. There aren't enough, um, you know, psychologists, psychiatrists that are, are women of color as well to see and, you know, to have them as a resource. And I think that's one of the pieces also that, you know, having those resources that have similar life experiences and can say, oh yeah, I get it in a way that others can't, I think is such a critical piece too, because I think that's one of the things that, um, especially in that type of space, when you want to share as openly as you can, you want someone that gets it. So, um, yeah, I think that's, it's just such an important piece to the puzzle. Um, okay. So we are nearing the end of this conversation and I want to start off by uh, having you all share where can folks find you? I'm being pointed at and I'm uh, again. Yeah. Uh, there's sure. a lot of pointing going on in this. Yeah. Conversation. Yeah. You know, <laughs> tag in, tag out. Um, so you can um, find us, you know, in the digital community, as just uh, put it earlier, uh, you can find us um uh, you know, at the risejourney.com, we, um, all over social life, um, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the things. Um, Jess, do you want to talk about our newest place to find us? Yeah. So keeping going on that client feedback, um, and going back to our initial values of really wanting to support small, smaller organizations and specifically smaller HR teams. I have been an HR team of one multiple times in my life and it is hard. Being an only of any variety in a role, in a demographic, whatever it is, is difficult. And so we are launching OPHR, one person HR, um, to specifically support those smaller organizations who don't necessarily have the budget additionally to do these big projects. And so there's a lot of resources. We, um, we're going to be sharing a calendar that hopefully has like every cultural event, every whatever, along with templates for email templates and support. It's going to have a whole host of things, um, but really to support those smaller HR teams um, of I, usually one, but usually two or three as well. Um, and across the globe, not just US centric. So you can find us at risewithophr.com. We launched it today for this podcast. Thank you for giving us a little push to formally launch it. Um, and it will be going live in January and we're really excited. It has been consuming about 15% of our brain space for the last four years. Um, so we're really excited to finally have it launching live and to be able to share this out. Um, a lot of it will be free. It'll be, if nothing else, it probably will be like a $5 a month subscription, kind of like Patreon style, um, because this work takes a community. We say it a million times. Um, and it's really important that people have access and they aren't behind paywalls. I hate paywalls. I never pay for anything with a paywall. I refuse. I won't. And I don't want to be somebody who brings a paywall into the situation. I'm also really cheap, but that's a whole separate story. Um, and so I want to make sure my goal is always that people have this. And I always, anybody can use my booking link if they want to chat. I always have what I, you know, digital coffee chats because this shit is hard and it takes people and it takes real concepts and it takes like a laughter or a horrific moment or sharing or an identity or whatever it is. And we all need support. And I love the fact that you have your, your group that you're like, oh my God, this just happened because it takes those <laughs> moments too. It's like the crazy, the good, the bad, the ugly, the, I'm actually just going to turn off for two weeks. If you need to find me, send me a letter groups. And those mm -hmm. are so vital for all of this HR people ops DEI work. Awesome. Love it. Um, there's actually, I don't know if you are familiar, there's a, um, a gentleman, James Wright, who does a calendar every single year and it has every every, 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 you know, holiday, whatever it's James, James wants you to know.com. He oh, has wonderful. his calendar and, and it's fantastic. And it's a resource I share with all my clients for that very reason. Cause it is, exactly. okay, how do I keep track of all of these different holidays and these different things and wanting to be 
wanting to honor, you know, all of your employees and all of the, the different groups that they're in. So, but I love this. What is OPHR? Um, we'll be signing up to check this out. That's awesome. So rise with OPHR.com. Uh, check that out. If you have, um, if you're listening and, and if you are interested, if you are a uh, HR team of one, I think that's something to everyone can benefit from. Um, we're both Jackie and I are part of the HR open source community. And, you know, these are the types of things that I think we need to just be more thoughtful about is how do we share? And, you know, I, I love what you're saying, Jess, of like, it might be, you know, if, if you do need to charge for it, it'll be something minimum, because I think that's the other piece too, is that for so many folks, it is cost prohibitive to do these different activities versus like, let's just have this group together that we can all share with each other and grow with each other. So that's awesome. Um, okay. What we also do as part of um, each episode, I could totally put Jackie on the spot here if y'all aren't ready, but, um, what is one thing you want to make sure that folks that are listening get from this episode or that they can take away and kind of use in their, their daily life? Um, Jessica, would you like to go first? <laughs> I would love to. And Should I, I point at you? Should I, I was, point at you? Yeah, point. <laughs> I, it's so funny. I don't know where anyone can point out. Um, so one thing, <laughs> make it a dance. Um, so I think uh, one thing to take away, um, and this goes to the core of what we set out to do, is that DEI work, culture work, is for everyone. It's not for companies over a certain size or for HR teams of a certain size. It's not for certain people that look sound or think or whatever, talk a certain way. It is for everyone. And if you wanna get involved, even if you're not in HR, you're in engineering, you're in marketing, um, wherever you are, you can make an impact in the space. Um, and there is, there is room for everyone's voices and there is a need for everyone's voices. So that is the one thing that um, I hope everyone takes away. Everyone can play a role and should. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you, Jess. So um, I actually use the, the term or acronym or whatever called DIVA, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, accessibility. And for me, adding on that belonging, accessibility were vital. Um, I have two invisible disabilities, depression and anxiety. I have been diagnosed and on medication for a number of years. And talking about belonging, we would say like belonging is the impact of inclusion. And so making sure that that's in there. And you were talking about Deb or Debbie, like making sure that B is represented but also the A for accessibility and removing accessibility from disability and we're starting to remove ourselves from that association and really talk about well, how do people get their work done best? Jess and I work totally differently. Jackie, you and I probably work totally differently. Katie, you and I probably work totally differently. So how can we make our, how can an employer support each and every employee in a way that works best for them, whether that's sending breast milk or having a standing desk or needing some specific you know, headphones because you do have a hearing disability. And so kind of starting to extract the accessibility factor from disability because it takes all types, it takes all kinds. Like Jess said, everybody can have impact, but only if they are enabled to do their best. And so that's why we use Diva. And so really making sure that people are thinking about that belonging and accessibility piece as well. Awesome. Miss Jackie. So I'm going to say the one thing is you have to implement this stuff to work. It's not enough to go and sign up. Like you don't get bonus points for signing up. Like you actually have to do the work. Um, and so just encouraging, I'm so glad that we've been able to share this time together. And part of it is speaking and speaking with other professionals in the space is to learn different things. Because I always say, when you know better, you do better. I stole the quote, but I, I say it a lot. Um, and it's just important to continue to learn from other professionals and then make sure you're implementing all the things that you're learning. There's so much access to information. Um, you have to keep iterating and just learn and iterate. And so I think that's the one in 1.5, maybe 1.7 things I would like for people to take away. Okay. Today. Okay. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll again, allow it. Um, as per usual, there's usually 20 things that we have. Yeah, I thought it was pretty good for 1.7. Yeah, no, it was good. It was, up. it was, Thanks. it was, it was solid. Um, so I think the other piece that I would throw out is just the, this is work that everyone has to do. And this is work that like, I, I love that you all kind of talked about the, the personal journey as well as that journey as an organization, because I think that's something that people forget 
is everyone is at a different place in their journey and they have to do that personal work so they can contribute in the right way. And so they can show up in the right way. So they can be a part of the organizational conversation. And I think that's something that it's just so important. And it sometimes is forgotten by, by folks in organizations. And then that's when you do have the pushback and you do have the, oh, I shouldn't be a part of this or, oh, I'm a white male. So this doesn't apply to me and some of those things. Um, but I also love what you said just about the, there are things that each one of us can say in a room that maybe someone else can't and acknowledging that and having that piece, because I think there's also this stigma of, oh, only certain people should be doing this work. And I also, I always want to be thoughtful about the fact that my voice is different than other people's voices, but it's just as important because we all need to be having these conversations and we all need to be pushing this work forward in whatever way, in whatever capacity, you know, like it's something that Jenna Kutcher, who I follow on social media, you know, she talks about being a wedding photographer, but she wanted to share all of her stuff with other wedding photographers and like how she approaches things. And, you know, people are like, well, why are you giving away all your secrets? You know, why are you? And I'm like, I'm the, also the type of person. I'm like, I don't care what consultant you use because we all will approach it differently. And that's also why I like to bring in different folks and different partners, because all of us have a different way of thinking about this and a lens that we're looking through because of our experiences, just because of who we are as humans. And I think that's such a critical piece too, is bringing it all together and how we each can impact this work is so important. So um, thank you. Uh, thank you both for being here. We truly appreciate it. Um, the rise journey is, you know, something that I think we can all, uh, go take a look, go check out all the resources that they have on their website. Um, and thank you all so much for listening and we will talk to you all soon. This is Katie Van Horn. And this is Jackie Clayton. Bye. Bye. <laughs>